0: Today's scripture is Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Good morning, East Point Church. We will feast in the house of Zion. Have you got your invitation? Have you RSVP'd to the wedding feast of the Lamb? If so, we will feast in the house of Zion. If you're visiting us here for the first time, my name is Tony Simpson, and I serve here as the youth ministry director And uh, if you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please tap us on the shoulder. Um, Let us know. We would love to connect with you. Please uh, permit me to thank Pastor Carter and Pastor Phil for this opportunity and for their leadership. (laughs) Thank you, Tracy. If I got one witness. Uh, East Point Church, it is a joy. And an honor to stand before you this morning and share from the word of God. I begin this way, not just out of formality, but to let you all know that if I say something wrong up here, they let me do it. (laughs) Please make all inquiries out to the offices of the lead and executive pastors. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, The word of the Lord has been read for us and let us. Pray now that he would cause it to blossom in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your day, for this, your time, for these, your people, that we may hear from you, that you may feed us once again, that you may nourish our souls and order our steps. In Jesus' name, amen. By the grace of God, we have arrived at New Year's Eve once again. This day we have seen time and time again, haven't we? The the feeling of a brand new start is familiar, isn't it? The time with loved ones and uh, the memories and the laughs are all familiar, aren't they? I, I know that we take this time to If we don't say it aloud, it may pass through our minds. We say, this year will be the year that I, you fill in the blank. That's just one of the ways that we state the famous New Year's resolution. And I have never quite understood New Year's resolutions. But I mean, I get it. People look over last year and they identify all the things they want to change. And so they resolve to change them in the new year. Next year, I'm going to lose weight. But Tony, you've eaten over the last 12 months two of everything you shouldn't and plan on eating whatever you want tonight. But tomorrow, some magic way, you're going to develop the discipline to eat healthy, walk two miles a day, and complete a strength training routine. We move into the new year as if last year never happened. No wonder by February, the resolve has dissolved and we find ourselves needing a restart. New Year's has become a series of starts with no end. Every year we get ready to get ready and find ourselves at the beginning again. Exhausting, isn't it? How do we expect to grow, develop and mature without the benefit of the lessons from the past? It would appear that this is not just a New Year's problem, but this is a discipleship dilemma. In our text this morning, the disciples are faced with the problem I sometimes have when I head to the kitchen. Not having two things that match. You know, like Kool-Aid, no sugar. (laughs) Peanut butter, no jelly. Salsa, no chips. But their problem was much more serious than mine. They found themselves looking at over 5,000 people and had no food. And when the disciples came to Jesus, they concluded that the all-sufficient one wasn't enough. How do you come to the Son of God and and let him know that someone else is a better fit for the job? I'd submit this morning that the adversity of the moment had caused them amnesia. (laughs) Could the answer to their lack of trust in the moment be that they simply forgot to remember? They had walked with Jesus for almost two years now. They've seen him demonstrate power over demons and sickness, disease and nature, death and the law. They've seen him forgive sins and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. They've participated in purpose power, proclamation, and provision of Jesus, yet somehow they found a way to divorce their past with Christ with their present predicament with the people. They forgot to remember. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to encourage us not to forget to remember lest we become overcome by the obstacles of life. Don't forget to remember lest we find ourselves in the perpetual preparedness of the new year of life without the benefit of progress. I want to encourage us. Don't forget your report. In verse 30, the disciples forgot to remember their kingdom report. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. The disciples had just returned from a mission of which they were commissioned in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. I'll read that for us today. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The disciples had a kingdom report in verse 30 because Jesus had partnered with them in purpose. It has been two years since Jesus began his ministry, but the declaration in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has become has come, repent and believe in the gospel. This announcement carries the purpose of Jesus' ministry. God had appointed Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to earth, and he would do so through his word and through his works. Jesus had a cosmic commission from God to put the kingdom of God on full display through his preaching and through kingdom power, and it began in Galilee. Along the way, Jesus would pick up some disciples, Men that would would walk with him and that he would would prepare to love the church and lead the body of Christ. The only reason the disciples gathered was because they had been sent. He called them to serve, not sit. This was always Jesus' plan. They were to be with him and receive intensive instruction from him while he prepared them to be exceptional evangelists. This was life on life training. Jesus had partnered with the disciples in purpose and he had partnered with them in power. This power was given to them specifically to cast out demons and to heal the sick. But beloved, if I had time this morning, I'd talk about the power of God's people. I would remind us that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that we are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in us. I'd remind us in John chapter 16, verse 13, that we have truth-seeking power and that the spirit of truth comes. To guide us into all truth. I remind us in Romans chapter 8 verse 15 that we have adoption power. In the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, if I had time this morning. I'd talk to us about Romans chapter 8 verse 13. That we live by obedience power. For by the spirit of of God that that we put to death the deeds of the body and live to please God. I'd remind us. In James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, that when we petition the throne of heaven, it's an act of worship, believing in the power of prayer. Is anyone among you sick? He should call the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's one of them push prayers. Pray until something happens prayers. Are you praying any push prayers this year? Are you praying? Has something so affected your life that you know that by your own will you can't resolve it and so you are bound, resolved to pray until something happens? But there's always enough time If there's never enough time to talk about the power of God's people, there's always enough time to talk about proclamation. Jesus had given the disciples a gospel to preach. Jesus partnered with them in purpose to display the kingdom. He partnered with them in power to demonstrate the kingdom. And he partnered with them in proclamation to preach the gospel. A message that beckons those who hear it to believe and repent. The gospel is the heavenly good news of salvation that comes from God and concerns God. The source of the gospel is God. He is the source. The gospel is the solution to our sin situation that we cannot solve on our own. It is the spiritual message of heaven that absolutely, unequivocally, and without a doubt originated from God. No way exists that it could have originated from man. The subject of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the subject of the gospel. He is the son of God. He is the son of David. He lived like us, died for us, and rose with our power in his hands so that we may, might live. Jesus is the savior of all mankind. He is Messiah. He is Christ. Jesus is the Lord and our mediator through which we cry, What shall I do to be saved? There is only one gospel. There is no no other gospel that man should believe, repent, and be saved. If you're a believer in the house this morning, that's good news to you. And if you're not a believer in the house this morning, that's good news for you. And if you're in the house this morning and you don't know what to believe, you just heard what the gospel is. You can be saved from sin and its consequences if you believe and repent in the Lord Jesus today. Family, Jesus didn't just commission the 12. He's commissioned us as well. The few, the saved, the saints. He's commissioned the church. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am always with you to the end of the age. East Point Church, don't forget to remember that your calling is not separated from your kingdom assignment. You have been called to serve, not sit. We gather today and every Sunday because we have been called to be sent. We've been called to live life on life with Christ. We've been called to be shaped into exceptional evangelists. Don't forget to remember the goodness of God in your life. Don't waste your your time with Jesus because God doesn't. God doesn't waste time. He created time, called you in time, and I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God stands in your past, holding your lessons. Walks in the future and prepares your way. And works in the present, ordering your steps all at the same time. We may forget our resolve. But God never forgets his. He has resolved to save his children and appointed his son to accomplish his will. And his word it doesn't bounce. The disciples' kingdom report should have reminded them of their kingdom assignment. It should have reminded them that Jesus and his heart for the people. But they forgot to remember their report. And they forgot to remember Christ's compassion. And that's what we see in verses 31 through 34. Christ's compassion, both for the called and for the crowd. As they came to Jesus to tell him all that they had done and taught, he listened to them, saw that they were tired, and he was reminded of what it takes to complete a mission. Jesus knew what it was like to walk throughout Galilee, to wade through the weight of a crushing crowd, To be accused of blaspheming and have his meal interrupted by naysayers? Jesus knew what it was like to have a heavy heart and be emotionally exhausted when his own mother and brothers and sisters came to him and said, You crazy! Jesus knew what it was like to be saddened? To watch people trade the truth of God for the lies of the world? To throw their light under a bush and not on a lampstand? He knew what it was like to be rejected. So as he stood there, hearing his disciples, he had compassion for the called. And he offered them rest. Listen, the Christian walk is difficult. Disciples get tired. But Jesus came to make it simple. Keep it simple, saints. Jesus came to offer the cold rest. Rest is a part of ministry. It's a pattern Christ modeled for us, and it is a gift that God has given us. The only reason the disciples were in the desolate place that day is because God led them there to give them rest. We don't like desolate places, do we? We can't stand the quiet, can we? When life gets lonely, we freak out because the world is busy. I can't rest. I got to hustle. Good things are are left to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. I got to get mine. That's not the way disciples work. That's not the Christian life. In Psalm 127 verse 2, The psalmist writes, in vain, the world gets up early and stays up late, working hard to have enough food. But God gives sleep to those he loves. Reverend William A. Lawson has been quoted saying, in a world that is intentionally upwardly mobile, God is intentionally downwardly mobile. That's just a preacher's way of saying it. Jesus has come from the heights of heaven to give his called rest. Can Jesus trust you to trust him in the desolate places of life? Rest. Will you trust him when life looks lonely? Rest. Can you trust, can he trust you to stop, listen, and learn? Rest. Moses didn't like desolate places. He came to God and said, now look, you told me to lead these people, but you didn't tell me who's going to go with me. And when God responds in Exodus thirty-three, fourteen: my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God says in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 15, I will tend to my flock and let them lie down. I will give them rest. Will you believe and declare with me this morning the words of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet streams. He gives me rest. Don't forget, family. Don't forget that the divine is in the desolate. He has led you there to grant you rest. The disciples gave Jesus their report. He had compassion on them. And he led them to a desolate place to give them rest. But he was also heading to the desolate place because he was was there to offer rest for the crowd. The disciples would have to settle for a brief siesta on the boat ride (laughs) because the crowd had beaten them to their landing. The crowd was running to Jesus, not only because of what he had done, but because of what the disciples had just did on their mission. People from throughout Galilee recognized Jesus and the disciples and they were coming to be healed. They were coming to hear the word of God. The disciples were tired. Jesus was tired. But the crowd was lost and Jesus is their shepherd. And in John chapter 10, verse 15b and 16, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep That are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd don't know where to go, they wander. The crowd didn't know where they where they were going, but they knew that they didn't want to be where they were any longer. They knew they had to get to the place of hope. So they came running. Following Jesus and following the disciples. Is that you this morning? You don't know where you're going, but it's got to be better than where you've been. Are you lost in looking? If you're looking for the place of hope, you found it, my brother. You found it, my sister. Because hope is wherever Jesus is. And he is here this morning. If you've made your way to the shore at East Point Church, it's because he's been traveling here to meet you. Jesus has come to offer you the truth of the gospel. He has come to offer you rest from your running. Quit running. Sit down. Rest with God. That problem that you have, you just can't seem to solve, You've tried and you've tried, but keep getting deeper involved. That pain that will not move got you praying in your private room. That burden that you bear, just know how much more you can take. That habit that you have, you just can't seem to break. You've worked and you've worked, but you figured it's too late. Turn it over to Jesus. He'll work it out. Turn it over to the Lord and he'll work it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's calling to you in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, what love! What compassion! The God of heaven would take time to give you rest. That he would call to you from all the troubles of this world and offer you his hand and rest. You see, family, it had grown late in that desolate place. They were in a desolate place. It was dinner time. The crowd was famished, but the disciples were hangry. (laughs) And they were suffering from adversity amnesia in the adversity of the need to feed the multitude, they had forgotten their report. They had forgotten Christ's compassion and they forgot that they work with Jesus. So when they saw the people in no food, they told Jesus, send them away to the village. But Jesus responded, you give them something to eat. I called you to to work with me to fill the need of these people. Did you forget? Did you think we arrived here by accident? You needed rest, but they needed me. You took a nap on the boat. You sat here while I've been teaching. You've done well. You've done good, but I haven't said well done. We've got work to do. You know what happens when we forget that we work with Jesus? I got four things for us. We become quick to point and slow to provide. Here's the people, there's the village. Uh, You remember those those bracelets that said WWJD on them back in the day? There's probably still some hanging around. Stickers, bumper stickers, all that. Uh, Notebooks, binders. It was a good reminder when I was a kid to try to live like Jesus. But what is the good of asking the question, what would Jesus do if you're not at least willing to try? We see the saint hurting, so we point to the counselor or a book. We see the members of the church starving for fellowship and friendship, so we point to a ministry leader or the pastor. We see a new face on Sunday, so we point to the resource desk. We see the ministry needs of the church, so we point, we point, we point. Secondly, we focus on our lack Instead of Jesus' abundance. I can't help. I'm dealing with my sin. I'm trying to handle my pain. I don't know what to say. Making friends is uncomfortable. I'm not prepared. I haven't been to seminary. I don't have the patience, the time, the courage, the knowledge. I don't have enough. Well, family, newsflash. None of us do. None of us have enough to meet the The needs of the kingdom of God alone, but we think we have to. The disciples' decision to send the crowd away was a good answer. It was the only answer if they weren't working with Jesus. But they (laughs) were, and we are. Give them something to eat. Thirdly, we get frustrated. The weight of the problem and our responsibility to help causes us to laugh at God. What do you expect me to do, God? Help while I'm hurting? Say the wrong thing? Be uncomfortable? Take a risk? Step out on faith? What do you expect me to do? Should I go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? <laughs> no. I expect you not to forget to remember that when you were on mission and had no resources, I provided for you.
0: Thank you.
1: Did you have need for bread? I provided it. Did you have need for gear and money? I provided it. Did you have need for a house to lay your head and companionship? I provided it. From the gospel you preached to the people you met on the streets, I provided for you. And lastly... We get good at calculating the problems, but we forget to factor in God. 200 denarii worth of bread was an accurate calculation for 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Could have easily brought to 15, 20,000 people. The need was true. The calculation was accurate, but they forgot to factor in the eternal king. They forgot to factor in the source of all creation. They forgot to factor in the all-sufficient one. They forgot to put in their calculation the incalculable God. We forget. Don't forget to remember that you work for Jesus. Because if you're willing to work with him, he's willing to work for you. How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? While the disciples were busy pointing at the village, there was a little boy in the crowd willing to provide. He was in a desolate place also. He'd been there all day too. It was dinner time. He was hungry. But in his EDC, his everyday care, he had some lunch. Five loaves and two fish. I can only imagine that when Andrew, the disciple, came to him and said, Jesus needs your lunch to feed these people. The boy boy probably replied and said something to the extent of, well, I don't know how he's going to feed so many with so little, but I've heard that he's done more with less. Here you go. While the disciples were lacking trust, this boy was exercising faith. Hear me, youth, East Point Church youth. This part is especially for you. Don't wait for adults to get it right. You believe that Jesus is for you and offer him what you have. And watch Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 come to to reality in your life. He will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ever ask or think. He will blow your mind, no cap. <laughs> Jesus is an expert at taking little and making it much. He, just, he takes just enough and he makes it plenty. The disciples forgot to factor in Jesus, so you know what he did? He started doing kingdom arithmetic. He took the loaves and started adding by subtracting. Started multiplying by dividing. The more they needed, it, the more he gave. He doesn't just do this with bread. Give him your little, minute, your little minutes, and he'll turn them into timeless moments. Give him your lack of patience, and he'll give you back long suffering. Give him just enough discipline, and he'll give you self-control. Give him your heart, and he'll grant you joy unspeakable. Offer your, your uncomfortable obedience and he will give you faithfulness. Hand him your sin stained stole and he will wash it in his crimson flow and hand it back to you whiter, whiter than snow. Don't forget to remember Jesus is enough family. There's room for the called and the crowd at the banquet of Christ. Here's some kingdom arithmetic you can remember. When you take the greatest need of the world and you add an omnipotent God, you get a satisfied multitude and an abundant overflow. And that's what happened in verse 43. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish, an abundant overflow. See, this part of the story, I don't have to, really didn't have to study to get. Because my dad, when he would cook a large breakfast, and there was something left over on the stove, it became part of your snack or afternoon lunch. <laughs> if my mom, she cooked most nights, but if, if she cooked a large meal and there was leftovers, she reserved the right the next day to say, you on your own. We come to her, well, what are we going to eat? You better go in there and find some leftovers. Some of y'all don't even eat leftovers, I can tell. Some of y'all spoiled. I don't eat no leftovers. It's a, but you know what leftovers are a sign of? Yes. That you had more than enough to eat. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Leftovers are a sign that you are living in God's overflow. Yes. You ought to say amen if you know that Jesus will give you enough as you go because you live in his yes. overflow. Yes. He'll give you your daily bread and make sure your spirit's fed. Yes. He'll give you faith to follow and joy for tomorrow. Yes. Don't forget East Point Church. We live in God's overflow. I wasn't here when East Point Church got planted over 15 years ago, but I'm living in the overflow from a meeting with men for prayer to partnership with the saints overflow from a school to a sanctuary from a house to our home. This didn't surprise God. While Phil was busy running around all around East Point trying to find where we would meet, God was traveling to 2950 Sylvan Road in East Point, Georgia, 30344. <laughs> Jesus fed the 5,000, but that wasn't the last time he'd break bread for his disciples. At the Lord's Last Supper, recorded in Luke 22:19, he would take bread, give thanks once again, Break it once again and give it to his disciples. This is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus fed the 5,000 to remind the 12 how they should live. But he fed the 12 to remind them that he had to die. Bread broken, a body given. They didn't fully understand when he said what he said. But they would soon come to realize when he was seized by Roman soldiers, beaten beyond recognition, mocked, crowned with thorns, and offered up on a a cross, when the sun refused to shine and the darkness made the, the town look desolate and late, when he looked up to heaven and prayed to God the words of Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he breathed his last, then they would fully understand. When he fed the 5,000, he satisfied our hunger. But when he, when, he, when he fed the 12, when he offered his body, it was to satisfy our souls. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven. Feed us till we want no more. I close now. whether you spent last year on the mountaintop or in the valley serving through the he- soaring through the heavens or wading through hell no matter if you are coming uh, into no matter if you're coming into 2024 radiant like Moses or smelling like hellish smoke last year god was with you he was teaching you and he was preparing you for another mission Moving from one year to the next is not a fresh beginning. It's a continuation of the Christian life. Amen. Thank you. Who knows what the next year will, will have for us? Well, One thing's for certain, we'll find out tomorrow, Lord willing. <laughs> Whatever it is, don't forget to remember Jesus called you to be with you. By the grace of God, we have arrived at new life in Christ. You may not take anything with you for your journey, but don't forget to remember to bring back the truth of your testimony. Don't forget to remember. Tomorrow, start where you've been. Remember where you are and look to who's with you. Look to Christ. Pray with me.